Welcome to The Complete Musician, creativity at its core, exploring innovative musical ideas, thoughts, and techniques for the modern musician in today's society, with your hosts, James Nagus and Drew Phillips. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Complete Musician Podcast. This is episode 11. I'm James. And I'm Drew. And we are back today talking about aural skills, which is everyone's favorite thing to talk about. But honestly, it's one of the arms of music, specifically music theory, that is a really important part of being a complete musician. And one of the main reasons that we thought we'd talk about it is, well, first of all, we both teach aural skills classes in college. And I'm guessing that many of you out there who are listening have also taken Aural skills in some form, um, either in high school, college, or maybe you even teach it yourself. So, or guess... you've seen the sound of music and listened to the song. Yeah, dear, a female dear, and you practiced solfege before you even knew what that word was. So, um, we've all have experience with oral skills, but I guess we should ask ourselves: Why are they important? Why do we do it? Do we do it just because we have to? Um, is it, you know, because we're horn players that people tell us we need oral skills more? Uh, why is that? Well, um, the first thing for me, I think it's important is because we do a lot of audiation in music, which is essentially hearing a pitch before we play it. And especially as brass players, where we have several notes per fingering, having a better sense of the pitch we're aiming for will give us better success in general, um, across the board. Um, and that kind of goes into the whole adage of, if you can sing it, you can play it. And, well, I think there's validity in there. The better thing is if you can hear it, you can play it. So we're just going to talk about some exercises that we use, um, oral skills based in either private lesson settings or large group settings. And, you know, maybe give you some ideas of things you can do with your students. The first kind of fun exercise I want to talk about is a very simple call and response. Um, which we typically know as I do something, now you do something, which is monkey see, something. Monkey do. Yeah. And <laughs> More like monkey your monkey do. <laughs> exactly. And this is a thing that you can do with students of all ages, but I think it's really important, especially with younger students as they're developing their ear. And you can do this as simple as, for example, overtone series call and response using just, let's just take F horn, C, E, and G, you know, overtone four, five, and six. Um, I might go, you know, do, mi, do, and then they play that back. And you do, can make up do, any mi, kind of pattern. Do. Yeah, that was very good. Your, your tone Thank was you. a little a little thin, so you might want to open up a little bit. But oh, okay. otherwise, it was good. Um, and, you know, you can do any kind of chromatic alterations there. You can do scalar type exercises. Um, really, the sky's the limit. And you can you also don't have to do short little excerpts. You can do longer ones that kind of turn it more into a memory game. But if you're working for more on just the aural aspect, I think keeping it shorter and just doing a lot of them is effective. Uh, do you do any of those kinds of exercises with your students? Uh, most of exactly what you just said, especially with younger kids. I do exercises on overtone series pitches. Um just like you were saying, uh, just around usually the tonic triad at first, um, especially with younger kids, it's just about matching, you know, a response, 
matching tone as best as they possibly can and trying to be as flexible up and down as possible and as smooth as possible in connecting the pitches. Even within the first three notes of open F horn on C, E, and G, which should be accessible to most beginners, uh, it's a, a pretty good range for them to start. And you can add in all sorts of things. Like you can add in articulation. You can add in uh, little fun rhythms and turn it into rhythm games. Um, like you said, the sky's the limit. Um, one of the things I do want to say about when I start kids is I do usually start, instead of kind of making a guessing game at first, I think an important step is making sure that you always start on a consistent pitch. Mm-hmm. Like starting or something. starting on dough uh, almost every time, at least for you know the first couple exercises every time that I do it. I know when I teach oral skills, I do the same thing on the piano, of course. And with my beginning oral skills classes, I do a lot of tonic triad stuff because at least in the first semester of oral skills in college, I think the whole purpose is to be able to find where a tonic triad is given a tonic. Like mm-hmm. being able to find dough and soul from there, just from giving dough. So I do a lot of those games too. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really important. At first, I usually just start exercises purely on dough immediately because it helps root that in their mind. And it also gives them a good place to start with from at first. Well, I think you also bring up two good points. Um, and the first one is that anytime you can make something into a game, it's essentially disguising working on technique but in a fun way in an engaging way in something that's a lot more um especially younger students will be receptive to doing it. and it, it's kind of like i don't know um wrapping up uh medicine in a dessert you know it's like a, a spoonful of sugar and a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down the medicine go down That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, And the the second point that you brought up was in doing these kinds of exercises, I think it's also very important to think progressively and logically and in small steps. Um, As our teacher, Jeff Agrell, would use the analogy, you don't want to, you know, add too many spiders, alien mutant spiders at once. Uh, and Ooh, it makes no what a sense horrible to you. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> you can go check out his book, Corn Technique, to figure out what that actually means. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, ew, spiders. Games are a great idea. And one of the games that I'll even mention really quickly that I play with my uh, I play with my oral skills kids um, is a game I stole from my wife. And she used it with her middle school band students. And she called it Master Grasshopper. And I stand up at the piano and I usually establish you know, five notes or something, just usually in C because not everyone has great piano skill, but this is a great way to work on that. And I play a pattern. Someone has to solfege it back to me. And then we switch places on the way uh, that we go because at the piano, I'm the master and they sitting in the class are grasshoppers, you know, Mm. just to be Mm. funny. And then when we switch places, then we bow to each other and say sensei just because it's fun. And let me tell you, college kids, they get into it and little kids get into it too, but college kids love being a little bit silly. So anyway, um, but that's, that's a great way to do no music. Not fun. Um, Unless you're Jeff a girl, then everything is fun and everything right. is a game. And this is a great game, I think, that I use also with my horn kids is that and now, granted, we don't have the you know large ensemble way to like switch places. Uh, but in private lessons, 
we take turns making things up and you know it's uh it's great to be able to practice that skill of not only being able to practice technique like you said but also it's a little bit of improv too now you mentioned large ensembles and i think something like call and response can be used very effectively in a large ensemble and i think you actually you use that with your it's your warm-up class is that yeah yeah my warm-up class of of both trumpet and horn yeah we do uh we do call and response in which I play something and then the entire group has to play it back. And we try to go maybe even a couple times until everyone gets it correct. But we definitely identify the intervals that we've played after we've done it so that mm. those familiar intervals will, if they appear again in music, then we've already kind of rehearsed them. But yeah, we go around in a circle and we've done that before. And it's been not only a good warm up, not only good ear training, but also practicing their technique of, you know, if we're skipping partial slurring and connection, if anyone has articulation of tonguing without the distraction of okay i'm focusing on slurring i'm focusing on tonguing i'm focusing on the specific technique the distraction of let me just repeat these pitches back to you is a great way to practice without thinking about it now one thing that we've touched a little bit on so far but we haven't called it out directly is the use of solfege which are of course the syllables to go with pitch that denote pitch right now what we say is uh in the scale i'm singing since it's you know december do re mi fa so done with this semester (laughs) if there'd be a do re mi fa so la ti do ho ho ho, but that doesn't even work because there's no ho ho syllable so oh you can invent one yeah, Let's say that'll be, ho instead of that'll do. be H. Well, there is H. H is Ooh. like a, an actual note that kind of exists on the musical. It's true. Plane. The German. Yeah, we could say so that's, that. That's the ho syllable. Ho re so, mi. Ho, ho, ho. ho re mi. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so in oral skills classes in college, you use solfege all the time for singing. Now, as an instrumentalist, you're playing, so you can't be simultaneously also singing solfege unless you're really talented. Um, but there are ways to incorporate solfege, and I think one that we were talking about not too long ago was where um, one person would sing a solfege pattern, and then the other person would play that back, but on their instrument. Mm-hmm. Is there, do you do any other variations on that kind of thing, or incorporating solfege either in your warm-up class or in um, just a lesson, private lesson setting? Uh, in my all skills classes, that's a lot of what I do, is that... Uh... I teach my oral, uh, my oral classes hand signs right at the beginning of the semester. And so I use a lot of that in which I show a hand sign and they have to sing whatever I show. Um, that's great for putting a physical kind of thing with what they're singing, uh, especially vocalists who don't always have that kind of thing like instrumentalists do with the buttons that we push um, or strings you press down or keys or whatever you do or things that you hit, whatever. So the vocalist having those hand signs is really useful, and a lot of my kids continue to do that. Um, but, yeah, a lot, a lot of those things that you were just saying I do with my ear training classes. I'll tell you one particular application of solfege that I find useful, and that's in sight reading with my kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, I was even doing it the other day is we we're sight reading with a student, and we were not only sight reading, but we were transposing at the same time. And this is with a trumpet player who uh, she hasn't really transposed much before, but we are transposing it from her B flat into C trumpet. And I mean, they have to do that sometimes if they don't have a C trumpet. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking at this very, very simple, very simple uh, exercise. It may have even been out of Getchel or something like the first Getchel book. And, 
uh, just looking at it, since they're written in C for a while, thank goodness, I'm like, all right, so this first measure, tell me the solfege of this measure's written in C. And, you know, she goes, do, re, mi, fa, sol. And I'm like, great. Now, you're playing in C trumpet, so you go up a step. What's our new key? D. Okay. In D, tell me the note names of what do, re, mi, fa, sol are. And from there, she figured out um, you know, she could easily apply it while looking at that. So it's like, it's that transfer of knowing what the solfege is in the key and then applying it to the key you're going to. Mm -hmm. It also helped me when I was doing, when you're doing like triads or chords, because some of those getchels, the first one, uh, extrapolate on all sorts of chords, like one chords, four chords, five chords. And when you think of that solfege, you can apply it to the key that you're given. Now, that's definitely a fantastic application of movable dough. Uh, there are some solfege purists who, who say fixed dough is the way to go and law-based minor, but especially for transposing uh, But none of us live in Boston. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, especially for transposing instruments, uh, movable dough is a lot more, I think, functionally useful. Unpopular opinion, I do too. But if you want to argue with me, just email us. Just send, put a comment down below. We'd love to hear from you and your fixed dough um and you're wrong, sis. I mean, you're... <laughs> yes. So, okay. Well, I think this is a perfect opportunity here to hear from our um, unofficial sponsor for this week. So, check it out. When you go on vacation, the last thing you want to worry about is your car. Especially your luxurious Hyundai Sonata. That's where we come in. Here at Sonata Daycare Center, we... Ugh, not again. Okay. Susan, Susan, listen to me. We are Sonata Daycare Center. You get it? So not the daycare center. For cars, not toddlers. Ugh. Hey, I'm here to pick up my... Ugh. Where are all these smelly kids here? We are so sorry, sir. We'll be able to help you in just a minute. So anyway... Here at Sonata Daycare Center, we treat your car with extra special love and care. We offer... Here's Billy for his lesson. No, Carol, no. We are Sonata Daycare Center, not Sonata Daycare Center. Uh, anyway, we offer free waxing, oil changes, state inspections, headlight fluid replacement... Oh, I like Batman. I want to pat him. Get out of here, you little brat. Ugh. Sorry, folks. Um, okay, so um, some more things that we, we offer... Uh... Can I finally get some service? Uh, sorry, sir. Sorry. Okay, we'll make uh, we'll make sure you fill out our form with the correct exposition and double theme and development. Tyler, Tyler, get off of the dominant. You can't stay there forever. Anyway, so to recap, here it's not a it, no. Put that down. Oh yeah. Sonata Daycare Center does not exist and never has existed and seems to have burned down anyway, so it won't ever exist. And no children, Hyundai Sonatas, or musical forms were harmed in the filming of this advertisement because all of this is fictional and ridiculous. Because who would mistake a car center for a daycare? And why would you take your car to a daycare anyway? Would you walk to work? Would you bike to work? Would you take a boat to work? All the ride of the Valkyrie taxi to work? That's just silly. So this is completely absurd. And Sonata Daycare Center is not an official sponsor of the Complete Musician Podcast. And we're back. So we're going to continue our oral skills talk with talking about singing. Hooray! Which is something I that's... am no good at singing. Ugh. Yeah, well, uh, I do not have a singing, good singing voice. Just like I have a face for radio. 
Um, I have a voice for not singing. So, but it's useful, um, especially in lesson settings. And as much as uh, my students and probably every student and myself included don't like singing, at least initially, um, the application of the, the oral aspects of singing are extremely useful, especially for uh, just identifying intervals. And, you know, a perfect example that I use in lessons uh, to reinforce their audiation is say there's a large leap they're working on or just something that's a little more unusual like a tritone you know we'll get to the end of the phrase and then i'll say okay i want you to keep that pitch in your head and i want you to sing the next note and that's very illuminating uh, similarly if there's any kind of scalar run or really anything if the if the student keeps missing an interval it's probably because they're hearing it incorrectly and they've just, for whatever reason, either practiced it that way or, um, you know, there's a number of reasons. But essentially, if you can get them to sing back the correct intervals, then it's almost, you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, they'll be a lot more accurate. I think that's the entire crux of our oral skills training is to see and reproduce with our voice. I mean, I d I've never had an oral skills class. I know some may do this. Uh, I've never tried it, but uh, try and play like the melodies and things that you have or the rhythms you have to do uh, on your own instrument. I think we all have had to use our voices at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to use, I never got to use my horn in oral skills classes. I'd have probably been even worse, but I just, uh, or it had probably gone much harder than using my voice. But anyway, <laughs> uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think that's exactly what we do is being able to see that and reproduce it and why some people find you know, the bane of their existence in music school to be musicianship and oral skills is because they see these things and they have to reproduce exactly. And I try to imprint upon students how just you know, how important and how crucial that is to their own practice and their own, you know, their, their own preparation of repertoire that they have to play and they'll have to perform because it's exactly what you're saying that, the reason there's so much of what we do in our lessons is identifying the things that they're doing incorrectly. I mean, that's kind of the purpose of it, but so much of it can be solved away from the instrument. So much mm -hmm. of it can be solved with you using your ears and you using the relationships that you build in those kind of classes and with this oral training to reproduce what you see. And yeah, I spend so many of my lessons saying, okay, uh, these pitches have been missed very consistently, whether it's something easy or hard, sing it for me. Just sing it how it goes. Sing it on law. I don't care what scale degrees or solfege or if you say cow, grass, or you know, poop. I don't <laughs> care what you say. Sing it for me. Right. And most of the time, their singing is very inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, this is why we're missing it is because we're not even able to hear it or get it out in our head. So there's no way you're going to produce it on the instrument. This like cold hunk of metal is not going to help you. It's going to fight against you because you're not even sure or being confident about what you're doing in the instrument. Or rather they're so, being accurate, but in the version that they hear in their head, which may right. not be the and, version on the page. Right. And so it's important that, the preparation is done for all of this in that not only listening, but working it out on their own, whether I know in oral skills, what I like to do when it comes to things like leaps you were just talking about is putting all the notes in 
like if you have a leap of a fifth or something and you're consistently missing it, uh, singing up the scale or from wherever you start up that fifth and then gradually eliminating notes from that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then even doing the same on your instrument, like for us, like putting the notes in between this, in between those two notes that you're finding that are all skill and then gradually eliminating just that skill of being able to hear it and finding the correct pitches first is crucial to be able to singing it accurately to reproducing. Right. And uh, one thing, too, that I want to talk about, it's, it's not necessarily like a devil's advocate thing, but it's something that is kind of a danger a little bit with this really audiation rote kind of approach is I know a lot of students that can really only learn after they've heard it played. And that's a dangerous that's a position great point. to be in. If you can only if you only have to have it. Uh, played for you or hear a recording in order to understand it that's kind of the whole point of i think what we're really talking about is training the audiation ability which is the in your head ability to hear it accurately yeah i have those i've had those moments with those students who i say you know this is how this should go and i sing it to them or or something or and and that's when they get it. Or I say, you know, this isn't accurate. And they say something just like you're saying about, hey, can you play it for me? And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not playing this for you. <laughs> you can figure this out on your own. And I'll walk you through the steps to get there so that you can do it on your own the next time right. you see something that you can't do. And that's the important thing as, as teachers to not just give the answer, but to give the strategies and have them come to the solution. Have the student figure out the solution. Right. But guiding them absolutely. in the ways to do that. Yeah, so they can use it in the future. Right. Um, okay, so I think the final little section I want to talk about is any other little fun ear training games that we use. And the two that I'll start with that I like to use, um, one is called Telephone, which is kind of a game that I'm sure many of us have played, usually in the form of sentences and words where you start with a word and you add another, or just if you have a single word or phrase and it kind of makes its way through a lot of people and transforms. <laughs> where you, yeah, where you say, like, the the first person says, like, Susie went to the, you know, went to the museum, and it turns into Paul ended up in the funeral home. And you're <laughs> right. like, ah, how did we get there? Um, and so the goal would be that it, the sentence would be the same as when it started if you weren't going for comedic effect. But if you're going for a theory approach, um, a way you can do telephone is kind of in more an additive and maybe there's a better name for that game but essentially like let's say okay we're going to do c major we're going to start on tonic so first play, person plays a c then second person plays that first note and adds a note of their choice third person plays the first two notes adds a note of their choice etc etc so it's so it's simon with notes yeah it's it's a combination of telephone and memory game i think a little bit so because yeah. I mean, there's a certain point, too, where we um, as humans, we can't actually remember enough information short term. So there really yeah. usually is a limit. But then the fun thing discussion you can have there is, OK, so let's look for patterns instead of remembering C, E, G, which is three bits of data. Let's think of I'm thinking of a C major triad. That's one thing. And so if you can group those types of things, that's even more theory in one little game. Yeah, and I think that's that's helpful to skills of not only technique and ear training, but also sight reading. 
because if you can look ahead on sight reading, that skill of being able to look ahead to what's coming and you see that you already see, you know, a chord that's coming up that's spelled out in notes like an arpeggio or some kind of familiar pitch pattern. You don't have to waste time focusing on that and can look ahead. So it's like the same thing orally. It helps your music reading skills as well. And the second game I want to talk about is called King of the Hill. And uh, this is a really fun one. It can be for any number of players, but we'll just say, for example, five players. And they're in a line. And you knock each other down off of a hill. Perfect. <laughs> right. And you, you dent up your instruments. And um, there is a king, but also a queen. There's five people. Each person is assigned a note or a pitch. So, for example, again, let's just take C major. Let's do C, D, E, F, and G. Now, those are close together, so that's maybe more advanced. You could you could separate it. You could do C, E, G, and C if you had four, four people. But anyway, um, it starts, one person is designated the king on either end, and they start, they play their note, and then they play someone else's note. So, for example, it could start G, so then plays G, followed by D. The person who has the note D has to listen for their note, they play that, and then they play the note of someone else. Then that person has to listen for their note. So essentially, every time, every person has to both keep the sense of tonic in their mind, their pitch, and be cognizant of what scale or mode they're in, so what notes they have to choose from. And it can start without a sense of time. It can be like, okay, think about the pitch whenever you're sure, go. Um, if you make a mistake, though, you have to go to the bottom of the line, and the goal is to be the king at the end of the round, which can be determined just however long you want to go. Uh, and then it can yeah. get kind of crazy if you start incorporating tempo so that it has to go mm. like, bum, 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 beam, beam, bum, bum, and you can keep speeding it up. And um, either <laughs> I've had experiences where the students uh, are terrified and hate it, or because <laughs> it can be a little stressful. Um, but if you yeah. set it up as just being goofy and fun, then oftentimes they love it. And with instruments, it's a little like instruments, it's a little easier, like all horns or something. I'm um, singing, you can do it if they're confident and solfege, but that gets a little more uh, scary, I think. Yeah. Um, I've got one more game to add that's like super advanced crazy fun i'm pretty sure at some point during grad school you and i did this if not i've definitely done it with other people um but if you really want to test your students or you want to test yourself with another person you have a pal um that you want to test some ear training with uh what i've done before at least in undergrad i did and like i said i'm pretty sure you and i may have done this at some point is sit back to back and then one person plays a note and the other person tries to play the exact same note Oh, just out of, Without, out of the blue? Just out of the blue, like not saying a key, saying nothing, just like what it feels and what it sounds mm. like. It's almost like you're trying to develop like perfect pitch, almost, because you're using your relative pitch of not even, you know, the tone and what it like feels like almost. Because I think when we listen to things, we can mostly get within, I would say like a third at least of where pitches are based on something that we're listening to, at least in what range, just because we've heard a lot of horn music. And so, and, and you know, we know kind of what the sound of the instrument is. So that could be a really great way to get people to identify that or your students to identify, you know, being accurate is like kind of, again, creating that sense of oral 
uh, recognition of the note and then trying to match it almost physically with what it feels like. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great exercise. It seems like it's a combination it's really of, hard. <laughs> uh, relative pitch and muscle memory. I think that's a really great exercise. It's hard. But, you know, getting students to get within, like, uh, uh, trying to get them within, like, a third or something, I mean, between in a second or a third of any of these given notes, I think is a great thing. Okay, so since aural skills is our topic for today, uh, we have a real treat for you, and that is a guest. Now, uh, back in October, uh, Drew, when you were visiting, we had a very special guest at the same time that you were visiting. Uh, Yeah, it was a very horn-filled week at the University of Central Missouri, and um, that is Natalie Douglas. Now, uh, Dr. Natalie Douglas is the assistant professor of horn at Utah Valley University. She has taught, performed, and researched internationally, including a U.S. Fulbright to the Kodai Institute. And her primary area of research is the development of pedagogical approaches to connect oral skills training to brass instruction. And we got a chance to sit down with Natalie and ask her some questions and talk about Uh, her thoughts on oral skills in this, which is our second installment of Creative Colleagues. All right, so now in our next segment on this podcast, we have the wonderful and fabulous Dr. Natalie Douglas here with us. Oh my God! So we're really excited to have her here. And so, uh, Natalie, for our topic today of ear training in the horn studio Mm -hmm. we want you to talk for only five minutes about how you use ear training in your horn studio teaching and private lessons and go Go. so that's it i'm just supposed to okay all right here we go ear training in the studio ear training is the fundamental part of everything that we do as horn players um, so I really embed it, honestly, I mean, into the repertoire, but on some level, I'm also working on it um, independently. So for instance, uh, a lot of my students are still, you know, they're, they're trying to pass a sophomore review, so they're learning their scales. Um, but I'm a very firm believer that really knowing a key is not just being able to play two octaves, you know, know the fingerings, what have you, um, but to also be able to improvise in that key Um, Now, I'm not like an improviser per se, uh, but I do ask my students, like I'll write out a chord progression in solfege. Um, And I actually did that this morning, visiting uh, Central Missouri, uh, where I'll write the solfege syllables out for like a one, four, five, one progression. Um, And I'll have them sing and finger that chord progression um, and then play like an improvisation, just doing one note per every chord. Uh, in the given key that they're working on that week. So they have to play it, of course, two octaves, but then also be able to just do a very basic improvisation, um, and I'll sit at the piano for that. Uh, but then if they're also learning horn repertoire, I'll make I'll make them do things like, of course, sing it on solfege, depending on it. I'm not going to make them do that for Hindemith. Um, I also am <laughs> not that cruel. Um, Although I will make them do uh, things that are, that are less tonal on like a neutral syllable like Lou. Um, and I'll have them like practice audiating as well, where like they'll start singing something and then I'll ask them like, okay, you know, measures two and four, I just want you to hear it in your head and then resume singing on measure four. Can you come in on the next note if that note is me? Can you hear that before you enter? Um, 
really honestly everything that we do is guided by our aural concept um what we what we hear is what we buzz into the mouthpiece is what comes out of the bell so i'm always thinking about incorporating that on some level into what i'm doing wow well in two minutes and 13 <laughs> seconds you summed up oral training in the private studio if you can bottle that you'll be a millionaire <laughs> yeah right yeah, i didn't even get the chance to have the duck sound go off. Oh. I can I can say more. There we go. No, I, I thought that was fantastic. Thank I you so much. Fantastic. That Especially because we just important. literally stuck a microphone in your face. And, and said no prep time at all. Do you, well, do you, you said you had questions. Oh, yes. Okay, so the next part of this interview is very important and very serious. Oh, I thought um, I had to do all of it in five minutes. Oh, no. No, no. The, the, this, this is very important. These are rapid-fire questions in which you have no time to think about the answer. You must spit out the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. okay. Oh God. So there are ten of these. Okay. We're gonna are start these sofas easy. related or like life? Um, you'll see. So uh, we're gonna start with one. Remember, first thing that comes to your mind. Oh my you have God. To answer oh my God. Okay. Ah! Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Here we ah! go. Here we go. Describe yourself in three words. Um, fun, energetic, musical. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. What would you name your boat if you had one? The, the. Barbie? If you were given a minute advertisement in the Super Bowl, what would you advertise? I would advertise um, uh, Chipotle. Everybody knows I love Chipotle. Okay. If a jogger runs at the speed of sound, can they still hear their iPod? Uh, no. What household chore do you hate the most? I actually like chores. You don't have to think so much. Um, I hate uh, vacuuming. What modern convenience do you think is a total waste of time? Uh, uh, modern convenience. How about podcasts? Ha ha ha! I'm just joking. I love them. Oh. Okay. A penguin walks into this room wearing a sombrero. What is his name? Why is he here? And what does he say? His name is Pepe, and um, he's cousins with Happy Feet, the penguin, and so he's here to dance. I'm here to dance, is what he says. If you weren't a musician, what else would you do? Um, I would probably moonlight as a solfeging uh, uh, chorus girl. On a scale of five stars out of five stars, how would you rate this podcast? Eleven. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yay! All right, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. And that's going to just about do it for this episode of the Complete Musician Podcast. As always, we want to thank you for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at coremotohorn at gmail.com or just leave a comment in the comment section below. And remember, Rome wasn't built in a day, but four-part dictation is impossible. (laughs) 